Hello, and welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast. I'm Dude, and uh, I've got Andy with me. Andy, say hi, please. Hi, how are you? I'm great. More importantly, I hope everyone out there is great. Uh, we're the Album Nerds. We talk about music. Um, we discuss albums, topical things, and every once in a while we throw in some opinions on non-music stuff, things that we like, products, movies, shows, whatever. And uh, we take about 30 minutes of your time and hope you enjoy it. You can find us at albumnerds.com. We would love, 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 love some feedback, uh, comments. Our shows are up there, playlists, and uh, feel free to let us know what you think. So, Andy, what are we up to this week? <laughs> well, we're going back in time, all the way back to the year 1990. Sounds great. Don't try and <laughs> challenge my radio voice. <laughs> So we're going to do two of our favorite records from the year 1990. I think uh, I was nine years old. And how how old were you in 1990? Let's just leave it at I was in high school. (laughs) You were a little bit older. Okay. I was driving. I was trying to shave. And (laughs) um, yeah. Uh, and as we jump into those, we have we're gonna do a little uh, freeform discussion on a debate that I feel like we have probably once a month. It comes up this this whole uh, notion of uh, pre-recorded music, sample-based music, DJ music. Is it as valuable? Is that the right word? As uh, live instruments in a live band. So we're gonna have a little conversation on that, and we got some some props, a couple a uh, couple Netflix shows we're enjoying, and that's about it. Should be uh, should be a fun half hour. It better be. Oh, don't you worry. Will it be more fun if I talk like this? Uh, probably not. Dude, what's that? <laughs> Is that you? No. Well, it's not me. Really? Would you... God, put your phone away. Is that a phone, or what are you doing over there? (laughs) You know what I'm doing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Seriously, man, what the fuck? (laughs) Having fun with sound effects. I have 500 (laughs) of them, and I will use every single one. Maybe. All right. Let's move on. Yeah, let's let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about 1990 and what you were listening to as as you were driving around trying to shave. Well, what I I listened to a lot then. I was a little more open-minded. So the album I want to talk about today was Included, however, it wasn't indicative of everything I listened to. So, I want to talk about the Black Crows "Shake Your Money Maker." Um, it was their debut album. But you also would have found me listening to DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince nice. on the same <laughs> afternoon. All right. 
<laughs> yeah, I used to love that summertime. We'd that I think that came in like ninety one or two. But anyway, <laughs> so I think most people are probably at least loosely familiar with the Black Crows, a uh, southern rock revival band. First album in nineteen ninety formed. I well officially got signed in eighty nine. I think um, two brothers, the Robinsons still both active in music um and 1990 the whole time period was kind of weird because there was pop music and then this is sort of throwback don't you think the black crows record Uh... yeah i thought it was retro in 1990 it sounded kind of like country rolling stones they had that swagger the blues riffs the i mean chris robinson is a skinny little dude that struts around like Mick Jagger. so yeah I certainly could, added I to it see the stones comparison for sure i it doesn't sound it sounds um i don't know a little bit better produced at least at least the record the original record i heard yeah i used like, to call it strut rock because it anything that was you know, Mick Jaggery, I I thought yeah. of that. But they dressed <laughs> with bell bottoms and Oh really. You know, velvet pants and stuff. Sort of like Lenny Kravitz had that throwback. Yeah, that kind of retro too. look to it. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So this was their debut studio album. It was released in nineteen ninety on Deaf American recordings, and that's Rick Rubin's label, and he was a key player back in those days produced Red Hot Chili Peppers, Slayer, um, numerous other. He's even done a Metallica album, I think. Um, And this album peaked at number four on the Billboard 200. Uh, The best-known song, Hard to Handle, She Talks to Angels, they both reached number one on the rock charts. Um, They had several other singles, and uh, it was a big deal. They sold like three million copies. And I remember watching the behind the music a few years back. One of the stories they told was that they got signed to Deaf American. The producer of their album was also their manager, I think. And um, after it sold its first million, Rick Rubin put his name on it as executive producer and and printings after that. And he had nothing to do with the production of the album. So that's unbelievable. I just think that's an interesting little tidbit. <laughs> How does he not get run out of the industry for doing something like that? Well, it's executive producer, and I'm sure, you know, his company was funding it, so executive producers usually are the money guy. Um, true, true. I think, you know, wanting to leverage his brand also because people see Rick Rubin, music people see Rick Rubin's name on an album, they go, oh, okay. Uh, you know, Beastie Boys and everything else he's done. But um, according to the Black Crows, they didn't like him when they first signed to the label. Their name had been Mr. Crow's Garden. (laughs) And supposedly he wanted them to, like, wear overalls and be kind of countrified and change their name to the Cobb County Crows, all with Ks. So it was, like, Deep South. That may or may not be true. 
<laughs> but that's the story they told on Behind the Music. So uh, what do you think? I mean, have you listened to this album in its entirety before, or is it your first time for the show? No, I only knew the two singles um, from my childhood. So I listened to it this week for the first time all the way through. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we've ever really talked about the Black Crows before, but I've, I'm not really a huge oh, fan of yeah. them in general. <laughs> I'll kill you. I, I don't have anything against them. I can see why you like it, but I'd rather listen to a lot of other bands, personally. Um... <laughs> Dude, come on. Just my personal preference, man. I, oh, I, that hurts I, me. Well, that's not something personal, you know. I, but just looking at the album cover, I was kind of biased as soon as I saw the cover. Like, the font they're using for their name of the band is so awful. It just bothers me so much to oh, look at God. this record. Here comes the graphic designer. <laughs> it's It's just so cliche looking. Um, then well, why do they spell crows with an E? That was throws me off too. <laughs> like what the hell is that? But take uh-huh. a look, if you will. Yeah, I believe, and I'm just guessing here because I've never looked into this. The small faces. Ever hear of them? It's a band. No. Yeah. It had uh, Rod Stewart and. Um, Ronnie Wood from the Stones in it. Okay. Jeff Beck, I think. Um, yeah, I super think group, one yeah. of their albums had a similar cover. Or maybe I'm thinking of the Stooges. But I, I think it looks like a throwback album cover. Oh, yeah. I think this is pretty popular. I feel like, let's, I know the Doors have a couple of records that kind of look similar to this. The group shot here, you know. Definitely like seventies. Anti-southern because they're from Georgia. I just I don't think that I mean, I'd rather listen to the Doors or the Stones than the end of this. That's all. Well, I they're a great live band and they were fun to see. I've heard that. I like heard that, all yeah. of their albums, and um, I think they're you know going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and all that stuff. Eventually, they were very great accomplished musician so i love the mm-hmm. album it's cool if you don't it just surprises me i guess i just assumed surprises like that you don't like oh really yeah yeah i think i like some of the later stuff better they put out a live album right that was pretty good they mm-hmm. put out a couple but the the most fun one is the live at the greek with um jimmy page and they play a uh, bunch of old blues songs and yeah there's no black crow songs on it Wait, is it no Black Crow songs or no? I think there's no Zeppelin songs, but it's good. I haven't listened to it in a while. I used to listen to it all the time when it came out in like 95 or 6 or something like that. So did you listen to this record when it when it came out or was this something you found uh, later on? I knew the singles, so I liked those songs and would turn them up when they're on the radio, but... I didn't probably buy the CD until 92 because I bought um, Southern Harmony and that's their second one. Oh, yeah. It came out 91 or two. Yeah, 92. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I remember hearing uh, 
hard to handle was the the big single, right? Yeah, that's Otis Redding's song. Oh, it's an Otis Redding song. Yeah, yeah. I should have known that. I remember hearing she that. She talks to Angels, the other big hit they wrote, but okay, right. So I'm just gonna play a little piece of Jealous again, which is one of my favorites on the album. Um, okay, just to give a little little taste for those who aren't familiar. I really like the the kind of southern piano and all that stuff in there, but yeah, it's, it's fun. fun. It's got a fun energy to it. Their first three, four albums are probably their best for anyone mm-hmm. that wants to explore. All right, enough time on the Black Crows. What you got? So it's kind of funny that you mentioned uh, Jazzy Jeff and uh, the Fresh Prince because uh, in 1990 I was also kind of I guess hip hop must have just been like such a cool new thing at that time. People were like, "Ooh, this is different." So I remember my first my first ever album that I ever actually owned was uh, <laughs> I hate to even admit what it was, but it was uh, "Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him," oh. which came out in 1990 and was for quite a while the best selling hip hop album of all time. I think I don't think anyone's ever heard any of those songs. Who was the artist? <laughs> There's this guy called MC Hammer. Yes. <laughs> Did you used to do the hammer dance alone in your room? <laughs> no, I, I fully accept my whiteness. That's that's quite alright. But it well, was like the whole the whole culture was just like such a new thing in mainstream music. Like I. It was so exciting to hear everybody. Everybody in my school was listening to that record. Oh, it definitely went huge. I mean, I was in high school, and uh, he was. It had, you know, everyone had it except me. Um, not that I minded the song; it didn't matter to me. But I didn't buy the tape or anything, or CD, whichever. But uh, he came to town on tour with another artist that also put it out an album in 1990 and it went through the roof and um they were together <laughs> Yo, VIP. Let's kick it. so everybody the weekend after came to school with mc hammer and vanilla ice shirts oh man <laughs> so I was prepared. Uh, yeah, that was not <laughs> not a great time for music. <laughs> <laughs> it was fine. It was fun, I guess. We were young and innocent. What do we know any better? Well, and, you know, it's okay for it to be fun. And it, it was the first time, I think, that, you know, rap music had been around since the late 70s and slowly working its way in. You know, you had right. one DMC and... Guys like Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, and they had hits, but this was the first moms and dads listening with their kids and being like, "Yeah, you can't touch this," you know? <laughs> and um, yeah. So, so tell me about your experiences. 
Well, that was kind of funny. So like I said, it was my first album, and my, my father bought it for me. I think it was like for Easter or some random holiday like that. And he had never, I mean, we didn't really buy a lot of records in my family, so he went to the store, picked it up at like Sears or something, <laughs> and he actually bought me the, uh, they had like the, the big, long, they call it like a letterbox, right? Oh, the, the cardboard, the cardboard, they used to call them long box. Long box, yeah, exactly, yep. yeah. So he brought me this big, huge thing home. I was like, what the hell is this? And we opened it up, but I had no way to play it because, I mean, CDs are like brand new. So I had to return and get the cassette, but I wore the hell out of that cassette. <laughs> Listened to it so much and read along with the lyrics. But, uh, you know, I didn't really know what rap music was about at the time, so I kind of accepted this, what he was presenting to be like rap music and kind of like black culture in America. Yep. And so you hear, you know, the hit, like, um, you can't touch this, everybody knew that. But the next song, right after that, um, track three, Have You Seen Her? Have you got that there, man? Uh-huh. A slow jam rap. Oh yeah. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. So I mean, obviously, did you dream about your future wife and listen to that song? (laughs) I didn't know what to make of that. Like, it just sounds so different than the the previous song. He's doing like that spoken word, like slow rap thing. And the whole, I mean, listening back on the album now, it's it's absolutely atrocious. There's a couple interesting songs, I guess, but he's a good guy. He's a nice guy. He was a good product to be sold, and he was at the right time, right place. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> Told you I was ready. <laughs> but anyway, that's not even the record I want to talk about because that no. is not my favorite record. But from it's still fun, and it's reflective of the time. Yeah, it's fun to look back at for sure. Um, Dude, I had a Color Me Bad cassette, so I can't judge it. <laughs> A lot of questionable taste back then. Um, but the record I, I still listen to from 1990 that um, I think still kind of stands up and is important is a uh, debut record for one of my favorite bands, uh, Primus, and their record uh, Fizzle Fry, which is kind of a pretty bold statement when you think of the time. Um, it's a pretty, pretty raw rock record, and, you know, obviously it's they uh, center around around less people, less play pool and his bass and kind of like that manic, crazy sound they developed. And this first record was kind of, it sounds very unchained and kind of bizarre. And uh, I don't know, it's kind of disturbing when I first heard it. <laughs> well, the cover is <laughs> a little disturbing as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they just have like kind of that blue collar, bizarre sense of humor. It kind of it kind of reminds me of why I like Frank Zappa. Like it's just a little bit, a little off color, a little bizarre, you know, but still interesting, still fun. Um, I don't know. What do you think of this record? Man, I'm sure you've heard it, right? I had not actually heard this album 
Um, I think pork soda was the first one I heard. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I guess it's kind of funny because this is a band that I don't get it. Like, I never have. I've never understood the appeal. I mean, it, the music is interesting. I Just the silliness. I'm not a big silliness guy in my in my rock and roll. So, like, even a couple of years later when they had the hit with the big brown beaver and the big brown beaver, I was like, what? What, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> so this was interesting to listen to, certainly. Uh, and the song Too Many Poppies was one of the ones where my... Ears, my ears perked up. I'm like, what in the hell is happening here? <laughs> so it was an experience, and um, I've read stories about him before, how he tried out for Metallica back in the 80s oh. and didn't make it. And, no kidding. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so uh, accomplished musician. I mean, they certainly, Les Claypool has done his thing for a long time, so I respect that, but... Um, it, you know, I've never really just sat back and kicked it to a Primus record before. Yeah, it's just like a good definition of of your taste and my taste. Yeah, I'm just like a, <laughs> yeah, not right. But yeah, I had a lot of friends that were like, "Hey, do you like Primus?" And I'm like, "Eh, right, I right." I never really gave it much of a chance, though. To be honest, it's not like I've listened to the whole discography. I've just gotten impressions over the years and heard a couple songs and been like, not my thing. Well, you so. know, they're one band that's been pretty consistent. You know, what the sound they established on this record is pretty much the sounds they have through most of their career. So, do you want to play a little bit of uh, Too Many Puppies? I love that song. Let's do it. All right. So, Andy, <laughs> what the hell is that about? <laughs> I get this like great mental image of like a you know locomotive train just like going way too fast around a curve and like Les Claypool sticking his head out the window, <laughs> just like screaming that. It just sounds totally unhinged, man. And um, where are the puppies in that scenario? Oh yeah, the puppies are. If you listen to some of the lyrics later on the song, are a little bit clearer. It's about soldiers and kind of people controlling them and you know starting wars for their own reasons and sending all these people out to die just for their own personal gains a lot of their songs are about you know just kind of sticking up for lower class people or or middle class people and you know so too many poppies (laughs) yeah all right I saw them in concert last summer, and they played that, and the place went crazy. It was really pretty fun, pretty fun. Yeah, okay. uh, yeah. So that was nineteen ninety. Anything else yeah. you want to say about that great year? Mm, no, but it doesn't feel that long ago. But yeah. it really is. <laughs> yeah, the music doesn't seem like it came out that long ago, but it. Yeah, it was. 
quite a while ago. So there's a lot of notable albums that came out in 1990. Um, and uh, I was going to, should I run through a few or? Uh, I don't know. We're running pretty long here. Elon. Yeah, we are. And, uh... So maybe next time we talk about a year, we'll talk about a little less detail and talk about some of the other things like <laughs> some more general black things. planet coming out from public enemy and how uh, that yeah. changed rap. So Allison chains had their first album. So a lot was going on. Good year. Definitely. What's next, Andrew? Well, if we haven't talked enough, you want to talk a little bit about, uh, this live instruments versus pre-recorded music uh, debate that we we've probably had this debate like ten times or so over the course of our friendship. How about just we do a couple high points? Okay. Um, you know, just the basics. Quick and dirty. That's right. All right. So I think the fundamental question is: is music that's created you know, using recorded music, sample-based music, DJ music, is that art? Is that take an artist to create it? You know, should we value that as highly as we do an orchestra playing a symphony or, you know, a great guitarist soloing or something like that, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess my side of things and you know I'm always like oh if they don't play an instrument or whatever mm -hmm. I mean it can be art but it's like the difference between um, a Pixar movie and a hand drawn whatever what's an old one Bambi sure, you know sure. where it's art and they're still creating but it's not, you know, I think of it as analog and digital. In analog, especially with music, it's not a great, you know, comparison to movies and stuff, but with music, the traditions go back thousands and thousands of years of humans taking wood, poking holes in it, tying strings to it, and making music. And then off the cuff being able to sing to it and with the digital stuff it's and even you know not just EDM or or whatever like when a band goes into a recording studio and it's digitally recorded instead of analog you can tweak everything it's compressed it's not natural sounding ask Dave Grohl if you want to look up the details of Sound City and recording studios and the differences between analog and, and digital. But it's just the human element. And that's what, especially in live performance, I don't want a guy with a laptop playing the stuff that he put together. That, to me, I'm not connecting with this person. And maybe because I'm not going anywhere to dance, that's not what I'm in a place for. So it's a different audience. You were a DJ. Spin it. <laughs> yeah, I was a DJ, so I'm a little a little biased. But I think I don't know, you mentioned like tradition and, and how we're 
instruments came from and how they're so tied to our past and that idea of, of what music is and tied to, you know, physically pushing something or blowing through something or stroking something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got a clip for that? Um, I'll make one. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I think that's a big part of it, at least from my perspective, where this digital age, you know, is still relatively new in the, in the larger scope of music. And I think people are having a little bit of a harder time accepting it into the scope of what music is. And I think it comes off as being so like plug and play and, and uninvolved and you know, detached, and you're just clicking buttons or or you know sampling something that's already existing so are you really creating i think um i think the more involved you the more you learn about it the more you'd understand that there's potentially there's a potential for a lot of creativity and artistry to go into that type of music but is it yours if it's you know someone else's songs mashed together Mm -hmm. with you going oh yeah uh huh. On top of it, is that? <laughs> well, I think you can make the argument that, that I mean, Here any, it type comes. Music, any type of music is based on something else. Well, I mean, you, yeah, you, and there's only so many guitar and piano chords, so everything eventually is going to sure. sound like something else. Sure, I think that's becoming more and more obvious as we kind of, you know, rock music has kind of gotten played out to a degree, and now we have hey. something new that's come out along and. You know, it's it's hard to part ways with what we're used with, what we're used with. Yeah, eventually people will have some sort of glow laser thing in the air that they'll be strumming, and no one will even know what a guitar is anymore. But <laughs> not my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, the human element, the perfection of albums these days, where the vocals are flawless, and you know. People's voices crack. You hear people breathe. When I'm listening to a record and I hear, a, you know, you can hear a smile on someone's face mm-hmm. if they're singing and they're smiling because they made a little mistake or you hear them breathe. That's real and that you can connect to. And I can't connect to robots. Yeah, it's hard. as like a organic life form to relate to like that type of perfection. And yeah, yeah like, it's a slippery slope too. I mean, I hate. I mean, I don't know. You want the album to sound good, but you want it to sound real too. You don't want it to almost sound synthetic to a degree. You hear these yeah, bands it, like you want it to sound like it'll sound live too. Yeah, that's a good point. Some of these records you can't reproduce without a laptop or a huge uh, computer setup. Yeah, the artists that need a thousand dancers and then have to have vocal tracks they're singing live but then there's some vocal tracks to fill in the sound Mm -hmm. just stand still please stand still (laughs) and sing your song (laughs) anyway yeah it's I mean there's no right answer but I think there is something I'm trying not to hate so much I used to just be like, it sucks, it's garbage, but I want to, you know, that's, who knows what the future holds, but I hope that 
guitars and pianos and drums and stuff don't ever disappear and that there's still a little contingency of people making analog music. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine it would become more and more prized after, you know, as digital stuff becomes more and more prevalent. You're going to, like, you know, really hold those musicians you can play live in a uh, higher standing. So, on this kind of thing, people, listeners, tell us what you think. I mean, where, where do you go? What's your preference? Are there digital or electronic artists and synth sounds and stuff have been around since the 60s and songs and the Beatles and all sorts of artists have used them as a part of the arsenal what do you think about it being the whole war um, so let us know <laughs> name some bands name some artists make me listen to some stuff because I I talk about it and don't like it but I guess I probably haven't heard a lot of it either so Cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, we definitely try and keep it pretty real and, uh, you know, organic on the show, to say the least. Yes, we do. As we play a sample. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It enhances this organic performance. Mm-hmm. It does. But I didn't use one of those typey things where you type in all the words you want to use and then a robot voice does it. Maybe next time. (laughs) You should totally do like an auto-tune show. (laughs) That sounds awesome. That sounds terrible. (laughs) Let's do some props, man. What are you... uh, We'll keep them fast. You uh... You go first, man. All right, cool. Um, Give a shout out to a documentary on Netflix. It's called uh, What Happened Miss Simone? It's a really good kind of no holes bar documentary on Nina Simone. It goes through all stages of her career, um, even kind of later in her life when her life gets a little bit more complicated. Uh, it's got good interviews with her family and some of her um, like producers and people she played with. Um, some really good live performances on there. So, I mean, if you're a fan at all of, of Nina Simone, it's definitely worth watching. It's on Netflix right now. Uh, what happened, Miss Simone? I also have a Netflix pick. My wife and I just finished this show, and it is not for everyone. It's called The Santa Clarita Diet. It's a Netflix original. It's half hours. 10 episodes um, Drew Barrymore Timothy Oliphant good supporting cast and it's a comedy but it's a dark dark comedy about a couple that are real estate agents living the perfect cardboard life when suddenly the wife starts eating human flesh because she is a zombie (laughs) so they've got a daughter and Nate you know nosy neighbors and they're trying to figure out how to how she can survive and how they can continue their life with her being a zombie so can I just ask you one question about that yeah does, does she become a zombie or has she always been a zombie and I just didn't know 
she becomes a zombie. I don't want to give away too much, but okay. suddenly, like she was really a stuffed shirt type of person, uh-huh. and then all of a sudden her behavior changes and um, she it kicks off. And I'll I'll say this much: it kicks off with a horrifying vomit scene when you know <laughs> that she's died and become a zombie. Oh, interesting. So it is gross. It is filthy language. It's funny, but it is dark. Um, so pick the right time and pick the right person to watch it with. But uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's cool. It was a nice so, couple of nights. Sounds cool. Maybe I'll check it or, out. Yeah, and if, uh, especially you fellas out there, be careful if you're trying to watch it with your lady. She may not appreciate it. Good good to know. Okay, so cool. uh, that was fun. Yeah, I had a good time. And, you know, I can't stress enough to everybody out there to check us out and tell us what you're thinking. If you'd like to support the show, the best thing you can do is leave the show an honest review on iTunes. Five stars. <clears throat> it makes our show a little easier for other people to find the higher rated it is. And uh, so, Andy, I'm not an iTunes guy. Is that just you just look it up in the iTunes store? Or? Yep, you can do it right into the iTunes app. Um, okay. Also, to do it, whatever network you're using, you're using Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, whatever. Just here's a rating. It really helps people uh, find the show. and uh, Or just tell a friend, you know, if you're talking to somebody, mention the show to them, play it for them in the car. We appreciate it. Yeah, if you like it, feel free to post it on your Facebook or whatever. We'd appreciate that. We are on the Twitters. We're getting a little more active. That's at Album Nerds. So please come follow us. And the more people that follow us, the more likely we are to have interesting content up there. <laughs> yep. We're also on Symbol, which is a great music discovery app. And of course, the website, albumnerds.com. Um, come listen to some of the albums we played in the show. Um, fill out a quick form, and we'll uh, do some recommendations for you. Just tell us what you're listening to. I'd love to love to hear from you. Oh yeah, and that's album nerds with an A. <laughs> I don't know why I said that last week, but I liked it, so I'm gonna uh, keep doing uh, it. Let's let's keep going. Sure. <laughs> Alright everybody. Do all the stuff we said. And please, you know, tell us what you're listening to. We wanna know. We respect you. All right, peace out. Have a wonderful week, everyone. We'll see you next time.